2: Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to late
3: 30
2: a.m.
4: Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 a.m. Hello, Rosie. Hello, Malika.
0: Good morning. Good morning not Uh, chaos here at all this morning not
4: at all chaotic completely normal this is everything's totally fine um but no seriously it's been i can imagine it's been hectic for a lot of people especially you know the ongoing uncertainty of not knowing what's going to you know what's going to happen when restrictions are going to ease so um solidarity with everybody, hang in there, make sure that you get vaccinated if you mm. can. So many vaccination appointments are open if you go to the Victorian Government Department of Health website, and you can go through the portal, book your vaccine. Um, it's just so important that we hit that 70% then 80% target. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um,
0: can yeah. you believe, 16th of September this morning, It is, 7 a.m. in the morning.
4: It, it, it is a fresh morning today.
0: Yeah, it's actually going to be a beautiful day.
4: Yeah. Um, just a reminder to everybody, you know, if you didn't get into it uh, the last few days, do your laundry today because it's going to be raining. True. Hang it out now.
5: I love this reminder, Priya. Thanks for reminding me as well.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if we're all stuck at home, imagine how gutted you'd be if you had wasted the opportunity to do laundry on a beautiful day and then you were stuck, in home with, uh, stuck at home with all your dirty laundry. Terrible. Genius. Yeah. So uh, we have... Uh, we have a pretty exciting show coming up for you today. Um, so first of all, we're going to um, be playing an interview from one of our other programs on 3CR. And this is uh, with Wiradjuri and Noongar woman Edie Shepherd, who's joined with an update on the campaign to stop fracking in the Northern Territory.
0: And then we'll be speaking with Cody McAvoy, a Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodian, and he's joining us today um, from the edge of Adani's Carmichael mine site, where Wangan and Jagalingu people have been holding a continuous ceremony for the past three weeks.
5: Um, after that, we will be speaking with Moju, a singer-songwriter whose third album, Native Tongue, was one of 2018's most important and award-winning releases, documenting a deep and intimate exploration of her Wurundjeri and Filipino roots. She joins us to talk about her new single, Wave, which will premiere today on community radio stations across the continent. The full album is set for release um, on November the 19th as part of Flash Forward.
4: Very exciting. And... Um we're going to be able to hear that single as well. And um, after that, we're going to be joined by Haya Kasif from Sydney-based Zedek Collective, who joins us to speak about anti-colonial Jewish organizing and the collective's upcoming online launch event, which is on the 18th of September, an art auction... Uh, auction? When, when, when did I start pronouncing things like that? <laughs> Art auction, uh, which will run from the 17th to the 26th of September, which is raising funds for Alkaz and Black Rainbow, and you can find out more and register at zedekcollective.com. That's t z e d e k collective.com. How exciting! More radical Jewish organizing. Very good. I know. If you're a radical Jewish organization and we haven't interviewed you yet, please get. In touch. Hop on it. <laughs> And welcome back to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is just about 7.05 in the morning. And Malika, do you want to jump into the headlines?
5: Yes. Um, So for the headlines this morning, um, the first one is in regards to um, Christian Porter and Scott Morrison. So um, Scott Morrison has said that he will be consulting um, in regards to... um, the blind trust that Christian Porter accessed when paying for legal fees um, following his legal proceedings against the ABC regarding his defamation case. So this is definitely something we will be keeping up with, but just something worth noting that Scott Morrison is currently consulting and trying to assess um, whether Christian Porter followed ministerial proceedings.
4: Yeah, that is definitely something to keep an eye on because, you know... uh, The the level of disclosure that is required from public officials, I think, is um, potentially not being met here. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, There's also an important update from the Northern Territory, whether Northern Territory government and correctional services staff have actually admitted to using capsicum spray during a Darwin Correctional Center riot in May 2020, Uh, but the government has denied claims that two prisoners, uh, Mate Venko and Jefferson Bradshaw, are eligible for compensation for mistreatment after this riot broke out. And this is reporting from ABC News, um, and they've noted that... Mate and Jefferson are seeking damages from the Northern Territory government and the Northern Territory Correctional Services. And they were serving uh, sentences at the time when they allegedly participated in this riot. Uh, but this has been denied by the Northern Territory government. But this is, um, you know, quite a significant update. Uh, sorry, quite a significant um, instance, because these two uh, people, when they were detained, are Now, you know, raising a legal case against the government. So something to keep an eye on and just a content warning for people that do read that article in ABC News there, uh, you know, there is some discussion of, you know, quite brutal treatment, um, including um, sexual um, allegations of sexual mistreatment as well in um, in that correctional facility. So really concerning. And
5: then um, in other news, on Wednesday, the TGA um, said that lawyers had reached out to Craig Kelly, um, who is the United Australia Party leader, um, in alleging that there's been a breach of copyright and demanding that the UAP stop distributing incomplete extracts of adverse event reports relating to the COVID-19 vaccines, which the TGA believes could be seriously misleading. Um, so for those that were unaware, um Craig Kelly um, has sent two unsolicited text messages um, to members of the public. The first telling people not to trust the major parties and the second linking to a UAP website hosting um, TGA vaccination reports that detail adverse reactions um and everyone listening if you are un- unsure about vaccines or were wanting further information we always encourage you to speak to a trusted medical doctor like your gp or even checking out the coronavirus um website um hosted by the victorian government
4: yeah um also if you didn't get those messages just check your spam folder uh, my phone filtered them and i felt left out um but yeah it, concerning that these are able to be sent out and you know this that this misinformation is, is so easily being able to be disseminated. Um, lastly, just want to remind people of the situation that's going on in far west New South Wales, where COVID-19 cases are rising among Aboriginal communities, and um, Aboriginal communities, including uh, the Angonia community, you know, the Shillingsworth family has been really sounding the alarm about uh, infection rates, but also the way that government and health services have failed the community, um, and it's just been, you know, really heartbreaking to hear updates come out of there because people are, you know, so many members of communities are, you know, not able to access food and essentials and are struggling to, you know, have their needs met while they're isolating and quarantining. And so, you know, there have been volunteer efforts going to get donated food and supplies into vulnerable communities, but then police are. Finding people for breach of COVID rules and regulations, and from even just traveling from their home to the shops to get essentials. And Bruce Shillingsworth has mentioned that government has failed indigenous communities out in the western New South Wales uh, region. And just a reminder for listeners, last week, we spoke with Monica Kerwin, who's uh, a Barkindee woman based in Wilcannia. And she was speaking about exactly the same thing, how government has failed to protect uh, Indigenous communities out in the far west New South Wales region. And so it's really, um, really important to amplify calls from the community. Um, if you see any donation drives going around, you know, some some fundraiser goals have been reached. Some people are kind of waiting to see whether restrictions will prevent people from getting supplies in. But it's also important to get in touch with your uh, local MPs, senators and you know, put pressure on to make sure that the government provides these essential supports rather than sanctioning and punishing Aboriginal communities um, for being infected with the virus. Um, Yeah, but I think that's all we've got for headlines today.
3: So here you are, too foreign
6: for home. Too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues.
3: What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home?
4: Diaspora Blues is a show
6: that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio.
2: Produced by
4: Jan. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And just because we can't hammer the point enough, please make sure that if you haven't already gotten vaccinated or sought medical advice around whether or not you are, you should get vaccinated if you have any concerns about that, um, please get on that now. There are so many appointments available. You can head to the Victorian government's website and book through the portal.
0: And now we're going to hear um, some audio from Stick Together, 3CR's program. Um, this this little bit of audio we'll here is an interview with um, Edie Shepherd, or Radji, and Noongar woman, um, with an update on the campaign to stop fracking in the Northern Territory. And Edie is a senior organizer in the First Nations Justice Team at GetUp.
7: The main campaigns that I we put heaps of time and energy and effort into in terms of like organising capacity building resource and that sort of stuff um, is fracking in the Northern Territory. So at the moment, oil and gas corporations have licences over 70% of the Northern Territory, which is an unbelievable amount of like of country and an unbelievable amount of landmass. Um, and for over 10 years, traditional owners ride across the Territory. So the Beetlew Basin in particular is, um, bigger than Sydney, like this one area is bigger than Sydney, um, and we have a particular co- corporation that has a licence that is literally twice the size of Tasmania, which is just like an unbelievable amount of space. But for 10 years, traditional owners have been saying, no, we don't want this, you have no consent, there is no free, prior and informed consent. Um, and we have conservative governments from both major parties, I would argue they're both conservative, um, who, as I'm sure people are probably, like, fairly across, are pretty wedded to gas as an idea. But there's a couple of things in particular. I don't campaign on the climate. I campaign on consent, right? Um And traditional owners across the NT have repeatedly and persistently for 10 years said no because they were not told of what the process would take, which is actually, like, it's quite a violent process. They drill over two kilometres into the earth and pump it full of chemicals that have been known to cause cancer to basically explode the rock underground to suck out gas. Um, and the the particularly scary thing about the Northern Territory is it's quite a dry place, right? It's pretty dry. Um, so 90% of the territory re- like relies on underground ball water, and it's one big aquifer. And if they drill down and there's one spill, that's it for water across the territory. Um, without water, there is no survival. Like it's, it's actually mind boggling that this is something that anyone is persisting with in a process that has been banned in multiple places, including states here on this continent, um, has been banned as a process because it's so dangerous. Um, so that's one of the things I work on. And the other major campaign, that I work on is around cultural heritage. Um, folks probably saw last year the the disaster that was Druk and Gorge, the absolute fucking tragedy, um, a 46,000 year old sacred site being blown up for expediency by Rio Tinto, um, and that really cracked open a conversation that that we haven't we haven't had as a nation in a very very long time. Mm. I'd say probably not not since the epic land rights movements that my family were part of in the 60s and 70s. So I kind of, I consider this work a continuation of that legacy. Um, but what happened in WA, as appalling and as shocking as it is, is completely legal and happens literally everywhere across this continent on a daily basis. Um, there's some, everything sits with ministerial discretion. So whether it's the WA legislation, so, um, God, Ben Wyatt, that's his name, signed off the explosion of Rio Tinto without consulting traditional owners. In New South Wales, where my mob are from, Wiradjuri Mob, there have been 700 applications to stop the destruction of, over 700 applications to stop the destruction of sacred sites, and five have been approved. That mm-hmm. is the scale of dis- destruction of country and culture. And what I will say about that is that without country and with our site, without our sites, we we aren't Aboriginal people. Our culture and our law and our custom all comes from that place that we are from. Ben Wyatt and WA, they're related. Um, but Ben Wyatt's from the ALP, sorry, just reading from the chat. Um so the protection and the preservation of of country is is pretty existential as blackfellas. So that's kind of that's the space that I work in as well as providing um support to families who are running campaigns around Aboriginal deaths in custody. We're learning just how horrible things are for First Nations communities in Western New South Wales, Will Wilcannia and other towns out that, that way. To what extent are the are similar communities in, uh, say, uh, uh, Queensland and Northern Territory, uh, learning how to prepare for the inadequacies, if you like, of government, bureaucratic support for dealing with the pandemic? Uh, Edie, your reflections on this. So, I, from my dad's side, I'm Aradjuri, um, which means that I, my ancestral territories, and my family are in western New South Wales, particularly in Dubbo. Um, so, I'm feeling this on, like, a range of levels, including the fact that the first Aboriginal person to pass because of COVID is from my community. Like, it's been a very big week. Um... I think that what is happening in Western New South Wales is an extension of the frontier wars. This feels like an act of genocide and I don't want to sound like I'm, like I'm really over the top, but 18 months ago when our communities across Australia wrote to Ken White, wrote to the government, were like, okay, this is going to be a disaster when it gets in. Can we have beds? Can we have ventilators? Can we have adequate housing? They sent children-sized body bags to a community in the Kimberley. That was the government's response to help with the outbreak of this pandemic, child-sized body mm-hmm. bags. It is very difficult to try to understand this in any other way other than an act of state-sanctioned violence when that's the response. And what we've seen over the last week, as well as the health service out in Wilcannia, wrote a very, si- like, wrote very similar correspondence to Ken Wyatt 18 months ago, and yet here we are. We have communities who are, who have 20 people in a two bedroom house. How do you isolate? They're isolating in tents. It's, they're predicting now that one in five Aboriginal people have COVID out there, which is, Mm. which is phenomenal. Um, and I think that there's, there's a lot of roles that we can play in this, but one of the, one of the things that I would, I would ask everyone listening to this is actually like, there's a lot of noise happening at the moment, right? Everyone's in lockdown. It's hard to get a vaccine. I don't know how I managed to get fully vaccinated, but thank God for that. Um There's a lot of noise happening at the moment, and it's really, really easy to drown out the fact that there is an oppressed, marginalized group of people who are absolutely staring down the barrel of being decimated right now in Western New South Wales. We're talking about what is it going to take to lock down? No, what is it going to take for those people to survive this? And it's not living in tents and it's not like people are celebrating because they got given the materials so that they could hunt roo, so that they could eat out there because there is no food in the community. That's not something to celebrate. It's not something to celebrate that they've sent 20 camper vans out yeah. to western New South Wales. It is a tragedy and a crime that the housing doesn't exist already um and we need like we can't we can't shift the spotlight off this we can't on any way shape or form because this government will take any excuse that it can to bait and switch and pivot away to anything that's not to do with our mob um we need to be loud about it and yes. i need people to be as angry as i am
0: you're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, and just then we heard Edie Shepherd on Stick Together talking about um, the destruction of country, um, stopping fracking in the Northern Territory, and then finally talking about COVID-19 in Western New South Wales. And um, you could hear just the kind of anger um, and yeah, really just disgusting and abhor- abhorrent behaviour that. The government has, yeah, it's really like distressing to listen to, but important to heed Edie's call to really um, keep keep that in the spotlight and hold the government accountable and make sure that these communities are given the support that they actually desperately need right now. Um, so Edie is a Waradjie and Noongar woman um, and the senior organizer in the First Nations Justice Team at the GetUp.
4: We might head into a track now, and uh, this is from Nairi's new album, 3, which just dropped. It is incredible. I really recommend that people sit down and have a good listen. Vinyls are going out uh, this week for 3, so if you wanted to treat yourself, pick one of those up. But this is Shiver from Nairi's new album, 3. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM, and that was Shiver by Nairi off her new album, 3.
7: Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery, and Earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter.
2: A message from Victoria's community sector.
1: I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients
4: are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us.
3: I really want to see my mom.
0: I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on.
1: To having all the sports
6: back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play.
5: I look forward to
0: performing in front of a big crowd again.
4: So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated.
0: Let's get back to the good things.
4: I ask you to get vaccinated.
3: For all of us.
4: Please
5: get vaccinated.
3: a
2: message from Victoria's community sector
3: a 3CR supporter
0: 20 years on the inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian
7: prison system
6: 20 years on the inside I'm
3: Vicky Roach
7: and I'm Kutcher Edwards this series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast.
0: 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. And now we're going to be joined by Cody McAvoy, a Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodian, and he's joining us today from the edge of Adani's Carmichael Mine site, where Wangan and Jagalingu people have been holding a continuous ceremony for the past three weeks. You there, Cody? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, so um, as I was saying in your introduction, you're you're actually at the... um, on Wangan and Jugalingu country at the Adani Carmichael coal mine site. I was wondering if you could begin by introducing yourself for listeners and, yeah, just describing the country where you are.
8: Yep, uh, what a morning. Hello, my name is Cody. Um, I'm here on the Jugalingu country. Um, I'm currently situated right in the front of, uh, Adani's mine pit. Um, I've been here for about a th- little bit over three weeks now. We um, came and set up, and I set up a a ceremonial ground here. It's called Wadanungu, and what that translates to is Wada, it means talk. The Na suffix on the end means talking, and the Ungu on the end means the, so the talking. So this pretty much encompasses, um, you know, everything about talking, um, this ceremony where, uh, you know, it's open for... Uh, non-indigenous people to come and chat with us to talk about um, our culture and how, um, how how we progress on with our culture. Um, this also is for um, <clears throat> other indigenous people, for tribes in the surrounding area to come and um, have a chat and talk about boundaries and talk about how we can circumnavigate around this native title system because this native title system is broken. Um, <clears throat> So what, what I'm trying to do is, is set up some sort of um, meeting place type of thing for not just surrounding tribes but also um, tribes further out and you know, across this continent to be able to form some sort of uh, MOU, if you will, kind of like a, a treaty type of thing in between tribes. And um, I hope, I'm hoping to build a, a humpy, a little... Because I've built two of them already, um, which is little waiting rooms. So... Each tribe that comes along, uh, we're going to build a humpy for them on, of this, um, where I'm, where I'm sitting on the moment is, it's a big, uh, uh, flat wall, if you will, um, and it's probably about three meters high up off the ground and it goes for a few hundred meters long. So I plan to get a few tribes out here to, to build some, um, uh, some little humpy little huts for them just a... um, Just to signify that that's their tribe and, um, and they've come along to support, uh, Watanungu and, and what we're doing here. So it's, um, you know, it's a family, it's a family friendly, um, ceremony, you know, um, children are welcome, um, you know, all ages are welcome. We have some people here that, you know, in their seventies, um, early eighties. So, you know, um, everyone that comes along, Learns a bit about Wangan and Jagalingu culture. They learn about the fight that we've been having, you know, for the last ten years of um, the five federal court cases that we've had to run, where the politicians have um, stepped in during our court cases um, and railroad our court cases pretty much. Um, so, you know, after those court cases went through, the, the only option I seen was to was to be on the ground. So. In 2019, I built a property ground on an allocated unallocated state land um, on Adani's property, and then last year I I built a fire in the middle of the road and blockaded his road for a week, and then now this this year, all in the same time of year that I've come now, and um, this time uh, I won't be leaving anytime soon. I already contacted the police before coming in here, so they're all under the understanding of um, what I'm doing here, I'm doing a cultural ceremony it's federal law, I'm allowed to be here Um, you know, we we still have a bit of um, uh, this tension in between Adani's security Mm. even though we've told them that it's federal law and we're allowed to be here Um, we haven't touched any of their property we haven't trespassed, we haven't done any of that Um, we're still being made to feel a little bit like um, we're doing the wrong thing, even though we're not doing the wrong thing. But, um, you know, this is an open-ended ceremony. Uh, Native Title does not stipulate um, how long a ceremony can go for. Um, and this ceremony is an open-ended ceremony. So as long as people keep arriving and traditional owners people arriving, the, the show goes on pretty much. Yeah,
0: so that's, great.
8: That's a bit of a nutshell about um, what we're
0: yeah it sounds so um yeah, I mean, it sounds really amazing what you're doing, like it's yeah just the the openness and the yeah kind of it's it's not just one thing, it's not just the fight against Adani, it's also about building relationships with other tribes it's about um yeah a kind of self determination that's really important, it sounds um really special, and also that you're welcoming visitors to come and yeah join you there is amazing. I was just wondering if you could um give some context for listeners about the Adani Carmichael coal mine, specifically just about um what is so concerning for you and your people about this mine. I know that it, it could go on for a very long time. It's got a long future, and so the consequences of that for your country and your people.
8: So um, let me just start back at this. Well, Adani, I first approached our group. We said no. And then, uh, Adani came back in 2014 to another claim group meeting and we all said no again. And Adani went along and, um paid off some members of our group to be a majority vote as a democratic majority vote, which never happens in Aboriginal culture, it never happens in Aboriginal tribes. It's always been consensus. It's always been the whole tribe agrees. Um, so, uh, we've started back from there. We've said no to the mining lease this whole time that we've been here. And, um, we've said no because there's an ancient spring system that's, you know, uh, just under 10 kilometers away. Uh, that, anyhow, over the years, these springs have been running for, been running for that long that they have, they have a waxy cabbage palm, a palm tree that's endemic to that area that doesn't hold except for Dungabua uh, because it's always had water. Mm. Now, this one is supposed to be six. And I've seen a map of aquifer run through all through the mine pit. Multiple amounts of aquifers that run through those mine pits. So the question remains is um we've been asking this whole time for an independent review. And... um all I want is an independent review to prove that they're not going to not going to um, affect the water table and they're not going to affect the springs, and um, I'll be happy with that. But if you can't, because you provide your own impact statement, I mean, Adani um, provided their own environmental impact statement. That's like me writing a roadworthy certificate for mine. My- so this is the problem that we've been having this whole time that the government. At all of this and um you know just just the way that the government has kind of like that they, they favor the mining companies over the, the people saying no so this is an environmental disaster if if they keep pushing south with this mine so you know uh it, the mine is open it's operational. all they well they they haven't put any coal onto the onto the trains yet but the way that i see it is At the moment, the box cut where the mine is is only a kilometre long by a kilometre long. Um, So I still have time to stop them going south further into all the aquifer country. So um, this is just one part, you know, like um, Adani wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the government um, signing off of the approvals. Um, He's just a company that just wants to get the job done, um, where my main beef is with the government that, they think they can just freely just give out mining leases and environmental approvals without their own sort of stringent um, investigation, knowing that the a cause that that there possibly could be a uh, uh, an environmental catastrophe with with Bulla draining so you know anthony Lynham, well, we were in the court in the federal court um challenging the mining lease and anthony Lynham... Gives them a the lot, mining lease before our court has uh, made a decision. So, you know, we're, we're living in a country where politic, there's no separation of politicians and courts. So, uh, how, how is, how is court system ever supposed to be true and just if politicians are able to, you know, um, meddle in, interfere with, with these things? You know, uh, my father was supposed to win in the federal court with a Maglade decision that happened in Western Australia that the Aboriginal people had to have a consensus. It was in the native title. So George Brandis rang the judge and told him to postpone the court date until after the parliamentary sitting, and they went to the parliament and they changed the native title law from consensus to majority. So these things that are happening with politicians interfering with court cases is very, very bad, like for a democratic country and for you know as as a country if we try to say that we're a first world country like um there has to be some sort of separation otherwise it just it leads to corruption mm-hmm. so uh, you know this is this is the stand that I'm making that I can't fight them in the courts and I we've we've tried to fight them in the courts and we just keep losing because we're getting railroaded by politicians so the only way for me to do something is to be out here because in my own free will as a sovereign individual Our people never signed over our property to the Crown. Our people never ceded our territory to the Crown. We were forcibly removed at gunpoint, and then no agreements were made. Adani made an agreement with Indigenous people from our group here, but that doesn't mean all of us agreed to it. There was five family groups that said no. That's no free prior and informed consent. You know, that's five whole family lines out of another seven. So, two, two family lines decided the fate for the other five groups that wanted to protect country. So, um, you know, these are the things that, you know, majority votes don't work in Aboriginal societies, they don't work in Indigenous land use agreements because people have more things sacred to them than other people do that they want to protect. If some people don't find something sacred, they're going to just sell it away and to a mining company to um you know, to, to do what they want with it because they have no emotional attachment to it. Mm, so,
0: but, yeah. It, it, well like you were saying Yeah, sorry. No, like you were saying, you know, the government um has a yeah, it's it's a kind of endemic problem. We were just listening to an interview with Edie Shepherd from Get Up talking about other destruction um in the N T, fracking and just like the endemic nature of this, it's not just this particular situation but the government it is the way they operate, hey, like just um yeah, yeah. Kind of colluding with these mining companies and really, and using, yeah, changing, I mean, using native title rather than native title, um, serving Aboriginal people to protect their country. It's being used by governments actually as a way to, um, allow these kind of destructions. Yeah. Yeah,
8: it's... exactly. Um, what people don't realise is native title wasn't set up for Aboriginal people.
2: Mm. Native
8: title was set up for mining companies.
2: Mm.
8: Because what happened when Annie Mabu, uh, won in the High Court of Australia, it sent everybody into a whirlwind and everyone thought that their houses were going to be taken by Aboriginal people and they were going to lose everything. So what um, John Howard done is he brought in native title, which reassured reassured to the mining companies and to the general public that Aboriginal people will get nothing under native title. You don't get any land back or you get is your national parks that you get to go and hunt and camp and fish in. It doesn't give you any land rights. It, it gives you nothing. Um, once the courts decide that you do have a determination, you still have to go back to the whole claim group to all agree to have native title. So what that essentially does is the government's taking the sovereignty from the tribes, on each tribe that they go around, and they're taking their country from them in return for them to be able to go and hunt and camp and fish on the same property that they still have rights to do. I don't have native title at the moment, but I'm still doing it.
0: Mm.
8: So was... why do I need native title? This is, the, this is the question that I'm saying to the government because the government doesn't want to give us native title because... Um, we have mines in the Galilee Basin that I'm definitely going to say no to. Mm. So these are the roadblocks that are going to happen down the fu- down the line, so the government's trying to destabilize our native title claim so we don't have a native title claim and then we won't have to have discussions with any mining companies.
2: Yeah. We um,
8: not have to have discussions with us. But the, the difference is I'm going around the system and I'm saying, well I'm a flesh and blood human being, you know who I am now, they all know that I'm Wangan and Jagalingu. They know that I come from this country, so they know they can't deny me my human rights. It's my common law right. Yeah. It's my common law right to say no. Mm. Just because the group said yes does not mean that I have to agree to say, no, to, to say yes as well. Mm. You know, It's my human right to continue to say no, and I'm going to continue to say no, and that's why I'm sitting in front of their mind. So um, that's, um, that, that's the world that we live in with um, with the government and with... Um, native title, you know, so I'm just trying to navigate my way through and, um, you know, do it the most legal, um, peaceful way possible. And the, I've, I've had to educate multiple amounts of police along the way, um, over the past couple of years. But now we've gotten to a point where I think they've, they're starting to understand, um, partly because if we've had to, we've had to pretty much, you know, um, You know, give them a little bit of a slap, you know, on the hand, you know, and say, no, you can't do this. With last year, they removed us from a pastoral lease, and so we took them to the human rights, and we're the first people to use to take the Queensland police to the human rights. uh, First Aboriginal tribe to take the police to the human rights. And we had a mediation, and we had them on five human rights cases that um, that they breached our human rights.
2: Mm.
8: Uh, So. They had to go back and they wrote a a letter of regret, which is doesn't mean anything, doesn't they're not sorry for anything, but the main part of that letter was that it says that Adrian Burugaba, which is my father, represents a group of Wangan Jagalingu people agreed by Adani's occupation on their land. So that right there from the Queensland police acknowledges that we have an ongoing fight with Adani and his occupation on this property and they don't want to get involved in this. So I'm just basically here in front of Adani's camp because I want to knock on the front door of the government. And I'm here as well to teach other mobs and other tribes that want to learn how to fight back to come and I can teach them how to talk to the police. I can teach them how to, to write what you need to write to be able to stand in your own, um, in your own power. You know, um, Aboriginal people in this country tend to forget that. You know, we're kings and queens in our own traditional countries. And um, you know, because our DNA comes from that specific area from thousands and thousands of years, they're eating the berries and the dirt and everything from that area that's endemic to that area it changes your DNA. So that's how we're connected to our country. So, um this is this is the fight that that we have, you know, and I'm trying to help other mobs to um to do the same thing. I'm just out here trying to spark a bit of
0: inspiration. Hmm. And, um, yeah, well, I was, yesterday I was actually looking at um, the Weirdie Language website that you have and a short film on there, um, talking about the community learning language together. Um, and I was just wondering if you wanted to speak a little bit about how language is connected to this fight to stop um, the yep. Adani Carmichael coal mine. Yep,
8: so uh, I was we, we applied for a language grant through the government, um, about two years ago, and I, I was, um, paid to pretty much collaborate all of our language from all the libraries, all, um, all the textbooks because there's no fluent speakers in WIDI anymore. In one generation, we've lost our language from my. My grandfather spoke language, but because they were taken in 1916 and taken to Cherbourg in 1916, everybody was not allowed to speak language um, on the missions. If you spoke language, they would take your rations from you and your family. So um, in one generation, our language died out. So it was a very difficult task for me because I had to just rely on recordings. And nobody... Nobody has ever actually structured the language properly. And I'm, I'm not an expert in linguistics or anything like that, but, I, you know, I gave it a pretty good shot and um, because I have a, a, an interest in it. So um, I had to break the language down um, and get all the language from all different linguists that recorded it and all different styles of writing. And then I had to recreate a new alphabet, which is based off phonics. The phonics alphabet, which is you got three main um, vowels, which is ah, uh, e, and u, and um, I've done videos with all the different phonics explaining it. And um, essentially, what it's doing is I'm, re- I'm reviving my language.
2: Mm.
8: You know, um, the government says that it's dead, extinct, but I'm speaking it. I've learned, I've taught myself how to speak it. I have spent the last two, nearly three years now, speaking it almost every day. Um, and I'm teaching other people, people that come to this camp, I'm teaching them, I'm teaching them words, I'm teaching them sentences. Um, so it, I, I kind of look at it the same as, um, thylacine. Everyone thinks the thylacine is extinct until you find one of them and then they're not extinct, are they? Mm. So, um, this is the same theory that I have that, you know, woody is not dead because I still speak it. So this is the problem that, um, that, you know, the Queensland police have not even been faced with because they haven't come to talk to me yet, but um what if I only speak in language? Yeah. yeah. Um by law, Australian law, all government agencies need to provide a, a translator. So where are they going to find a translator from?
2: Mm. And
8: am I not entitled to a translator even though everyone else in this country is entitled to a translator just because you can't find one? You know, so what that exercise, because I haven't even done that yet, that's a bit of a sneak peek for you, so...
0: I'm excited.
8: Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, not one, not, Aboriginal people haven't really used it in that way before to ask for a translator. Um, but what it does is it opens the question of, wow, there's someone's actually speaking a language other than English from this country. You know, it makes them realise that... um maybe we should have recorded this language down. You know, um, what happened to all the language speakers? Oh, that's right. We told them not to speak language. So um, this is the awkward predicament that I'm going to put them into, um, which I haven't even gotten the chance to use yet because the the police have just... They've kept their distance away. They they don't want to get involved in anything. Um, Partly they know because... Just the way that my antics are, I, I bait the police in um, in each little um, exercise that I do. Because I, I mean, I have a lot of I have a, a lot of time to think about this. You know what I mean? Like I don't do anything else other than this is my main um, my main priority and everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it encompasses my whole life because it's it's just it's consumed me for the last at least at the last six years of okay. uh, the time. So it's, um you know, I'm not going to stop thinking about this until, you know, until this guy leaves or the government comes and talks to us. Uh, you know, I've just gone around and I, I, I built a crobbery ground in Claremont, in central Queensland, in the town in Claremont, um, a big dance circle and a, another, uh, like a welcoming um circle there and the council, the Claremont council loved it and you know they um, showed their support and they came along and put big boulders all around the outside of it so people couldn't drive through it and they're going to put a sign up and everything um, in the town saying welcome to Claremont in language. Um, You know I've been to the schools and I've been teaching language in the schools in Claremont Um, so what I'm essentially doing is cementing myself in and cementing that they know and they understand that, you know, this is who I am. So when I do stuff like this, they know that there's a reason and why I'm doing it and I'm not just a, a troublemaker.
0: No, it sounds like you're just, a, you're a very, very strategic and, um, you know, really powerful person, really fighting and who knows their rights and who knows um, their connection to country and is really, um like, yeah... Putting that forward, and I think maybe, yeah, the police sound like they might be a bit scared of your <laughs> of all your power. So that's good; they can stay away. <laughs> yeah,
8: that's it. I mean, um, if, if they stay away, that's always good.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I was just wanting to ask about how people can support you, how people can get involved. I know you had a webinar on Tuesday night that invited, um, Indigenous and non-Indigenous supporters to join you and learn about Wadanungu, and I was just wondering if yeah you could talk about how people can support you now.
8: Um, you know, there's, um, and the main thing, of you can just jump in your car and come out here if you want. I mean, all you have to do is put a, um, put into your Jeep camp and it'll come up with where the place is and you just drive past it and we're just here. That's one option. Um, two, I mean, we have a Facebook page, uh, Wang and Jagalingu Standing Our Ground page that, um... That we post a lot of our stuff from here out to everyone on Facebook. Um, you know, that, that can be, that can be shared. Um, or, you know, people can follow along on there if they like. Um, just also talking to their friends and, um, family, you know what I mean? Um, about, you know, what we're doing here and, you know, about trying to, um, connect groups up like we used to and have, into tribal relationships between other tribes that has been, has been lost. That connection has been lost since colonization. So, um, they can, they can support through Facebook or also, you know, there's, there's other, um, there's other things like, um, there's other NGOs that, that could be helping as well, um, to get support for people to come up. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, this thing is ongoing. It's, you know, I'm, I'm planning it, try and get bigger and bigger and bigger. So, uh, at, the, at this stage, you know, it's, it's kind of small. Um, where, we're just trying to get the word out there. Um, but because it's so remote, you know, it's, it's only really, um, the people that can really make it out here. But otherwise, people have just been, um, you know, sharing our content, um, on social medias and, yeah, just, talking to their, to their friends and family and stuff about what we're doing pretty much.
0: Thank you so much, Cody. Like It's really great to hear about what you're doing and, um, yeah, for being so generous, sharing sharing your fight and um, all, the, all the work that you're doing. That's so interconnected. I really appreciate you joining us this morning. No worries. All right. I hope it warms up up there. You're saying it was a cold night, so have a good yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. Thank you. Okay, thank you. That was Cody McAvoy, a Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodian. He was joining us from the edge of Adani's Carmichael mine site where Wangan and Jugalingu people have been holding a continuous ceremony for the past three weeks. And as he said, it is an ongoing, open-ended ceremony. So, um, he will be there and he's inviting others to join him and also share, share and, um, talk about, you know, the, the ongoing fight.
4: You're on 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. It is 7.55 in the morning, and we're going to go to another track. This is Higher by Kwame. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, and that was Hire by Kwame. And um, yeah, good morning. If you are just tuning in, uh, we just had an amazing interview with uh, Wangan Juggalungu traditional uh, custodian uh, Cody McAvoy. So, really recommend people to go back and listen to that once our, once our podcast is up. And you can also catch all of our previous episodes on 3CR.org.au forward slash Thursday breakfast
2: a message from Victoria's community sector.
5: I'm looking forward
1: to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being
4: separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us.
3: I really want to see my mum.
0: I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on.
4: To
6: having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play.
0: I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again.
4: So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated.
0: Let's get back to the good things.
4: I ask you to get vaccinated.
3: For all of us.
4: Please
5: get
1: vaccinated.
2: A message from Victoria's community sector.
0: A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast, and up next, we're speaking with Moju, a singer-songwriter whose third album, Native Tongue, was one of 2018's most important and award-winning releases, and it documented a deep and intimate exploration of her Wiradjuri and Filipino roots. And she's joining us on Thursday Breakfast this morning to talk about her new single, Wave, which will premiere today um, on our station at other community radio stations across the continent. Welcome, Moju.
6: Hi. <laughs> Thanks, Luke.
0: Thanks so much for joining us this morning. How are you going?
6: Good, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, absolute pleasure. Yeah, when we got the email saying that you that um, you're going to release a track on community radio stations, we're always happy to hear that. That's always very nice.
6: Yeah, I just wanted to get back to my roots a little. You know, community radio has always um, had my back. So yeah, I like, that sounds like a really cool way to put out a new single.
0: Totally. Well, the track Wave wave is off your new mini album titled OK, and it's described um, as reflecting on themes of mental health and loneliness, a lot of things that people, I mean, across this continent and probably the world can really relate to at the moment. But I was wondering, um, before we hear the track, if you could just tell us a little bit about the track and the album.
6: Yeah, um, I guess I, I was given an opportunity to... I've sort of been working on another full-length album and um, I was given the opportunity to put out um, some new music through Forward, which is the City of Melbourne, um, and heavy machinery records like it's an initiative by those guys, um, I think, during... Pandemic times, they were like, let's, let's do a thing. Um so I was like, yeah, okay, well, I'll just put my album on pause for a minute. And um and I sort of had a look through, and I'd written a collection of songs, you know, that had sort of all explored those feelings when I was going through, uh, you know, some serious mental health stuff and, and, um, and it just they just all sort of, uh, they, I'd sort of written them and they all fit together and that was all an exploration of that. But I hadn't really thought that I was going to release them into the world because they seemed too intimate and too private. Mm. And I thought, you know what? Like, actually, it's a time where, you know, even though I didn't write these songs during the pandemic and through and stuff, I feel like that, it is, I'm watching a lot of people I know going through these same things. And I thought maybe it is a time to be better at talking about Um, You know, I know that we are getting better as a society about talking about mental health, but myself as an individual, I've never really addressed that directly in my music. It's obviously something I've explored as an artist who suffers from mental health issues. You know, inevitably, that comes up in my music in different ways, but Mm. I've never, like, so explicitly kind of set it out like that so I was like yeah I feel like these songs belong together and they probably do belong out in the world um, so that kind of EP kind of took its shape but um, this song is kind of about just letting go of things it's, I know I sort of said that I think people are going to hear this and think, assume it's about a relationship or something but it's really not, it's about letting go of behaviors that are toxic
2: yeah, okay. um, whether
6: that Things that you kind of lean on, you know, whether that is people or certain people in your life or, you know, alcohol or other substances that, you know, that you kind of, things that you do that just, uh, or even social media, you know, you kind of lean into these things that don't ultimately end up making you feel better.
0: Mm. Well, maybe we should head into the track now and then we can talk a bit more about it after um, all of us get to hear it. Awesome. He is Wave by Moju.
3: you beside me, it makes me weak, but this ain't the right thing, same song, repeat, This terrible timing, my two left feet, don't tread so lightly.
0: And that was Wave by Moju. That was so great. We were just um, saying in the studio, having a little dance in the studio and also saying like, oh, it's the closest we've come to going to a gig or (laughs) something in a long time. Um, Well, I'm here with (laughs) yes. Yeah, you're listening on the phone to your own song, so (laughs) that's good. Um, You were saying that, yeah, like people might read the song or listen to the song and think it's about a relationship, um, but that's not what it's about for you and for me. When I was listening to it yesterday, um, as I was walking along, I, I was thinking, I was listening to it and thinking about like a sense of being kind of between places or not fully being somewhere. And that feels like a feeling I have definitely experienced a lot during the pandemic. Um, I was just wondering if you wanted to talk about waves at all, because it made me think about different kinds of waves like sound and water and roller coasters and this kind of sense of being between. Yeah.
6: I mean, totally. I think. You know um, i do i do I, I it's funny, isn't it? like I feel like water is one of those things that's just so it's so emotional, and I think it's such a great um analogy for like talking about emotion mm. um and so you know it's probably an obvious metaphor, but it really was uh you know. I guess being in between places when when you're on tour, like, you really really feel that you are in between places so often. And, and you know, we we recorded this EP in lockdown. Mm. So it was recorded um, in, you know, remotely from one another, sending files back and forth. And, like, it was the first time I ever... um, Actually, just tracked my own vocals at home. I know a lot of people do that all the time, but um, for me, it was like a really different way of making a record. And you did, I did feel sort of in between places, or like I, you know, it was really hard to like connect, and it was challenging. Um, but it also put me back in that place when I was writing a lot of the songs and the lyrics, where I was actually, touring and, you know, writing them on airplane. Mm in hotel rooms and, and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, I think you're right on the money with, like, all of that. So I'm
0: glad that that came across. Yeah, well, actually, there was a real... Oh, sorry, I just got some buttons there. It was a real... Um intimacy like actually when you saying that you were tracking it at home like I felt like there was even just an intimacy in terms of like the quality of the voice I mean I'm not a music person so I'm very much going to reveal that right now but in terms of the production and like the yeah the quality of the recording of the voice it just felt very very intimate um, as well and I can imagine that process of yeah I mean I'm assuming that your your usual Process of recording and making music is is a much more social one, um, with other people. So yeah, I was going to ask whether that was a challenge or a, yeah a different way of making music for you.
6: I mean, I like making music. Every time I make it, I do it differently, and I like the challenge. But that wasn't. I mean, it was challenging, but it. I I feel like I I was sort of, I was up for the challenge, you know, and um I don't know like with the vocals I always. I think the best vocals are the ones like, or the ones that excite me the most. Are, like, often really intimate, mm. and, um, and the and the nature of the material is so intimate that I sort of just leaned into that. I was like, let's just let's not fight against what was actually going on here, which is that you know, that, let's keep it kind of relatively. I don't know. Wanted it to feel lo-fi, even though you know, like, home, home studios these days are, are not necessarily lo-fi mm. and We were still working with, um, you know, very very privileged to have access to like, you know, good quality recording facilities at home these days. But I just sort of went, you know, let's just lean into the fact that this is what it is. We've got a short period of time to make these these songs. You know, super intimate. Let's keep them super intimate. Let's leave it relatively low fire.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I love that. I love that as well. And it felt, yeah, just more like someone singing to you rather than someone up on a big stage, you know, far away in a huge crowd. It's, it's a, a different kind of it, much more, yeah, experience someone singing into your ear. I was also thinking about, um, sad songs and the desire to listen to what, you know, what you call a sad song or like fe- feel through music at the moment. Um, but I was just wondering, yeah, if, if that's what you were thinking about for your listener or if you even think about the listener when you're making music and, and what, yeah, like is it about kind of tapping into that or um, is it about doing something else with that emotion?
6: I mean, <laughs> my favourite song is a sad song, always. And I think that I've always really excelled at like writing sad songs more so than happy songs. Um, I know some people, I'm, I'm often envious of people who can write like, really good, happy songs, but it's not me. (laughs) I'm like, I'm a sad song person. So I was kind of in my element in in that respect. But, um, yeah, look, I do, to to a degree, I think there's a a stage in the album where you start thinking about the listener, but, like, initially, it's very self-indulgent for me. It's like, I'm, I'm just creating, and this is a part of my process. Like, this is part of me processing my emotions. And... And this is, I can't think about other people. And particularly in this, like, so much of what I was writing about and the things that I was going through was in response to, like, the, it was in response to the aftermath of the previous album, you know? Mm. It was like I was on the road for two years straight and I was in the media a lot. And um, I just kind of... And that was really challenging, and not all of it was positive. And so it was like I I kind of isolated myself in a way. Um, You know, I think this is probably a really good time to also just acknowledge that um, I was working... I I made this record with two really close friends of mine, Henry Jenkins and Lewis Coleman, who have been collaborators in various ways over the years, who have played in my band and played on previous records, and I felt the really beautiful thing is that I felt like I could be very open with them about what these songs were about and and trust that the material in their hands was going to be treated as delicately as maybe I needed to be treated around some of these feelings. So it wasn't entirely in isolation, but it was, yeah. Like, it, it wasn't... I never make music... From the outset, going what do people want to hear? Because I feel that's this is genuine. Yeah. It's what do I want to hear and what do I want to say, and hopefully, you know, people connect with
0: that. Yeah, I think that's really yeah beautiful. And yeah. I don't know, I'm I'm really excited to hear the rest of the album. I, I'm definitely a sad song person as well, so I'm I'm excited for that. Um, I was just wondering if you could let us know where listeners can find the single, and also eventually, um, when the album when the mini album comes out, where they can find that.
6: For sure. I mean, uh, the single will be up on all streaming platforms and all the money. And the the rest of the EP comes out in November, uh, the nineteenth, I believe. And I'll probably get that wrong. So if, I'm
0: pretty perhaps. sure that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
6: um, but yes. So <laughs> um, so November, and and it's coming out um, through Flashboard and and Heavy Machinery. There'll be a vinyl release, so people can get a hold of it. And yeah, in the meantime, just go to your favourite streaming place and have a listen. And getting radio, hopefully.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us this morning and talking about your new single, Wave.
6: Uh, no, no problem at all. Thanks for having me.
0: You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, and that was Moju, a singer-songwriter whose third album, Native Title, was released in 2018. And they were joining us this morning to talk about uh, her new single, Wave, which premieres on community radio stations like our very own one today.
4: How exciting to have um, a song premiere on community radio stations, being able to play it for the first time. Um, we might just jump right into our next interview. So we are joined by Haya, who's a postgraduate student, artist and community organizer and a member of Zedek Collective, who joins us to speak about anti-colonial Jewish organizing and the collective's upcoming online launch event, as well as Art Auction, which is raising funds for Alcaz and Black Rainbow. Chaya, thank you so much for joining us today having me um it's really great to be in touch and we were talking earlier in the show about the fact that if you are a jewish radical organization that has not been on 3cr thursday breakfast get in touch with us because we we seem to be hitting up everyone yes
1: thank you so much for including us
4: Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it is really exciting to think about, especially in a time um, where, you know, during the pandemic, um, being in lockdown, a lot of people are feeling kind of like we're stagnating or isolated or disconnected. And thinking about the kind of organizing and um, community building that we can do in these times is so important.
1: For sure. There's been a lot of frustration amongst all the people I know just wanting to get on with things and make a difference. So that's exactly why. I think a lot of stuff that's happening right now is happening right now.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, um for listeners that aren't, aren't familiar cuz you are based in Sydney, when and how did SEDA collective form and can you tell us a bit about the choice of the name and what it represents?
1: Yeah, um we were only formed um just a few months ago earlier earlier this year when um someone who who's one of our members um made a documentary Um, about non-Zionist Jews in Australia called In Dialogue, Jews on the Borderlands and this documentary brought a lot of people together who wouldn't have otherwise met and this coalesced into a resurgence in the loosely organised Sydney Jewish left and at one of those key meetings it became apparent that there was a huge generational divide between the um, other activists in our community, a lot of them are over 70 years old and then there was all of us who were kind of under 35 and it was we realized it was necessary for the younger cohort to form a new group which could carry the torch from groups like other you know sydney based groups like Jews against the occupation and independent jewish voices so that's kind of how we formed um the name tzedek it's a jewish value that literally means justice um which is the value that really brought us together um it's often used in context of charity but more accurately describes justice work as a moral obligation. And more broadly, it refers to the building of trusting relationships and includes contributions of not just money, but time, effort, and care. So that's really what um, directed the name, but just like the whole essence of the group, because we wanted a group that was Jewishly rooted in anti-colonial, anti-Zionist action,
4: really. Mm. Yeah, and I think... um... It is really, it's really lovely to see, you know, the name symbolizing the kind of work that you're doing and and sort of provide an anchor and an orientation as well. Um, For sure. Yeah, so I was wondering if you could kind of briefly discuss your relationship to some other anti-Zionist Jewish collectives and also to Palestinian activists in so-called Australia and what it's meant to start building that um, anti-colonial solidarity on stolen land.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, since we're only a really very new group and some of us are more experienced with community organizing than others, our relationship with other anti-Zionist Jewish collectives like Loud Jews, like um, Jews Against the Occupation, has been really instrumental in our development and we receive a lot of meaningful guidance from them. Loud Jews, um, which is basically our sister organization, our sister collective, Um, We were formed at the same time, so we're on very similar wavelengths, and we're looking forward to working together. Um, And as well, being in touch with anti-Zionist Jewish organizations and communities um, around the world is really meaningful. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of relationships with Palestinian activists, as I said, we're only very new, but um, earlier this year, around the time that we started meeting um, in May through June, we um, had a really strong presence at the Palestine Solidarity rallies that happened in Sydney during the siege on Gaza and Sheikh Shira. And, and we were under the Jews Against the Occupation banner, and that was a really um, impactful and meaningful experience um, for myself and other members who were new to this sort of thing. And it was just amazing to be able to make those connections in person with the Palestinian community of where we live. So we really hope to build on those existing relationships with Palestinian activists, and that's why, as a collective, we've been organizing the art auction, um, yeah. fundraiser in, in support of Black Rainbow and Our Cause, which are two queer-led Aboriginal and Palestinian community health organizations. So we really, uh, we initially hoped that the auction would be an in-person event because all about that community building, and we wanted an opportunity to better connect and with people in person. Lockdown obviously has gotten in the way of that, but um, we've, we've taken the auction completely online, so we're very looking forward to materially supporting um, and showing up in that sense.
4: Yeah, awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about um, how that's going to run, this Art and Solidarity auction event, and um, also a bit about the launch event as well, which is, I believe, on the 18th of September, and there's a lot of emphasis there on community, ritual, and relationship building.
1: Yeah, for sure. So... The fundraiser will run for 10 days, and it's entirely it's a silent auction, entirely online. It starts tomorrow, this Friday, at, this Friday the 17th at 11 a.m. tomorrow, um, and will go for 10 days and end on the evening of Sunday the um, 26th. The the link for that is a gala bid g a l a b i d dot com slash art in solidarity. Um, all money raised will, go, will be t- donated 50-50 to El cause and Black Rainbow. And it's a really, really exciting lineup. It has over 70 listings of art and writing donated by over 50 artists and writers, including big names like Tony Albert, Louise Zhang, Nadia Hernandez, Matt Chan, myself, <laughs> and many more. <laughs> um, so it's going to be really, it's like, it's so um, impressive, all the people that have come together. You can find the full list. We have it all on our social media if you want to search up SEDEC Collective. SEDEC is T-Z-E-D-E-K Collective. You'll easily find us and you can see what's come, like all the links to everything as well. Um, the, um, The auction is, we try to make it accessible for anyone who wants to help us fundraise. Um, with a a range of price points. And for people who don't really want to mess around with the auction side of it, there's a lot of Buy It Now items as well as the option to donate without buying something. So everyone can really be a part of it. Um, You asked about um, rituals and relationship building. So we, as I said, like that's a really major part of what we wanted to do as a collective. And so um aimed at community building and employing ritual with activism, we're having a live Zoom event on this Saturday from this Saturday the eighteenth from six to seven PM. It's only one hour. So if you're lonely on Saturday night with something you want something to do, we have um this event, we called it New Beginnings, a night of ritual and poetry. So it'll be really a really um wonderful event hearing from poets, Jazz Money. With Jane Harani, Sarah Motta, and Sarah Celeste. um Belsheth of writings, and the night will also be encom- encompassed by an interactive Havdala ritual that um, everyone can take part in. And it will be really, really um, sensory and beautiful and grounding and um, an opportunity for us to see each other's faces um, no matter where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, p- because we really wanted to create a Jewish space where ritual and activism come together, where our community organizing is motivated by our Judaism and understands an expansive concept of what it means to be spiritual. Yeah. So, yeah.
4: No, that is, that is really, really beautiful. And, you know, listeners will be familiar. It was uh, like Rosh Hashanah was last week. Today is Yom Kippur. Um, yeah. So there's – it's definitely, I guess, like a time for reflecting and setting intentions for the year ahead which I understand part of part of the event is going to focus on
1: yes for sure so if anyone sounds that sounds interesting to you the the you have to register the link is bit.ly slash 21 tzedek t-z-e-d-e-k-2-1 and it's open to everyone and it's going to be amazing
4: I mean I it sounds incredible and like from the the promotion that I've seen about it, it seems like just like a beautiful thing to be able to participate in, even if people are only able to join remotely, just to have that sense of community and connection and also, you know, radical intention as well. So, yeah, yeah. thank you so much um, for taking the time to to talk with us. Hi. It's been it's been great. Thank you for listening to me.
1: <laughs> thank you for
4: having me. Yeah. And, and all the best um, with the event.
1: Thank you so much.
4: You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And that was Haya from Zeta Collective who joined us to speak about they're uh, anti-colonial Jewish organizing and the collective's upcoming online launch event, which is on the 18th of September from 6 to 7 p.m., an art auction, which runs from the 17th to 26th of September and is raising funds for al and Black Rainbow. You can find out more about both of these events and register at zedekcollective.com. So that's T-Z-E-D-E-K-collective.com, but you can also find them on Twitter and Facebook. And we are coming up to the end of our
0: show on Thursday breakfast today. Um, It's been a big one. It's been a really good show. I mean, it started, you know, it was a cold morning. I had a dream that I missed the show. I spilled coffee all over myself. I forgot my keys. So after all that, I think it's actually gone relatively well. And they've had some really amazing guests. I have to say, you did not spill your coffee all over yourself. You at least caught I some. I spilled it in left. my bag. Okay, okay, let's be specific. Let's let's
4: oh, no, we're trying to look at the looking at the bright side. You had some coffee left, which I think is wonderful and really showed in your amazing interviewing skills you know, and <laughs> car- carried you through. Um, Malika, how are you going in studio two? Um, it's great. It's a
5: weird experience being across the window. It's my first time in the other <laughs> studio, but other than that, it's been great.
4: Uh, yeah, just a reminder that we are adhering to COVID safe protocols here at 3CR and we uh, encourage everybody to stay safe, you know, be sanitizing, ABS, always be sanitizing, um, wear your mask, uh, keep an eye on any changes to restrictions um, on exposure sites on the government website. And please, please, please make an appointment to get vaccinated if you can. Um, but how about we go through what we talked about t- on today's show? Um, All right, well, I'll kick us off. So first of all, we played a segment from the Stick Together program where Wiradjuri and Noongar woman Edie Shepherd joined the program with an update on the campaign to stop fracking in the Northern Territory.
0: And then we spoke with Cody McAvoy, a Wangan and Jagalingu cultural custodian, um, and he was at the edge of Adani's Carmichael mine site where um, he's been holding a continuous and ongoing ceremony for the past three weeks.
5: We then spoke to Moju, a singer-songwriter whose third album, Native Tongue, was one of 2018's most important and award-winning releases, documenting a deep and intimate exploration of her Wurundjeri and Filipina roots. And she joined us today to um, talk about her new single, Wave, which we heard for the first time, which is really, really exciting. And it's premiering today on community radio stations across the continent. The full album is also set for release on November 19th as part
4: of Flash Forward and then finally we were joined by Haya who's a postgraduate student artist and community organizer and is a member of Zetec Collective and uh, she joined us to speak about anti-colonial Jewish organizing and the collective's upcoming online launch event on the 18th of September and art auction from the 17th to the 26th of September so very exciting there are things you know there's always things to be participating in things going on and one final little bit of news before we wrap up is that the eastern barred bandicoot in Victoria has been successfully pulled back from the brink of extinction. So little things to look forward hey, to. Good hey, good news. We love good news. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today on Thursday Breakfast. So we'll catch you next week. See
2: ya. See ya. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.
4: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.